The following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitanoia, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. And now, here's Dr. Dan. So if you have your Bibles, join me if you would in James chapter 3. James chapter 3. I want to talk to you about how to receive blessings from God in this life. Blessings from God in this life. Now, as I said that, I'm sort of uncomfortable because I feel like I sound like one of those TV preachers who sort of promise that if you buy my book and do what I say, why, you'll have your best life now. And uh, to be honest with you, I sort of have issue with some of the TV preachers, not all of them. But sometimes they, they pull a verse out of context here and, and make it sound like God's intention for you is perpetual health and wealth. And to be honest with you, it seems like they are preaching a gospel that is the American dream. I'm not opposed to the American dream, and I will tell you, and I'm going to preach on this, God does bless His people. But so often, what we find is that many people, even those who call Christ their Lord and Savior, are willing to do just about anything to make the American dream a reality. And some preachers use this as a tool to manipulate. They preach a gospel message of fat bank accounts and perpetual health. That is fun to hear, but that is not the gospel. In our passage this morning, God says that if we live wisely, He will bless us. So what is going on here? The Holy Spirit inspired James to write this letter to Christians who are being tempted to bend God's rules to get ahead. They had ambitions of winning the game of life, and this created problems. Not because they were ambitious. Ambition is not wrong. The problem was selfish ambition and jealousy. And to achieve their goals, Christians often leave God out of their plans. How do they do this? Well, they use worldly wisdom and follow their hearts and as they pursue those ambitions. The result was that this leads to all kinds of fighting as people strive for success at the expense of others. This was happening in James's original readers. They thought they were being wise, but their conduct revealed that they were being foolish. So in James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18, Christians are called to demonstrate true wisdom by living righteously before God and others. Please join me as I read our passage. James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Verse 15. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Verse 18, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we thank you for today and the opportunity to gather in your house. I thank you for the worship that we've already had. I thank you for these partners of mine in the ministry. I pray, Father, that as we spend time in the Word of God, we would indeed learn to be wiser by your standard. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I often tell Christians that God has saved you on purpose. For a purpose, and your purpose will bring glory to God and good to others. For me, I have known for a long time that my purpose is to glorify God by explaining the Bible to people so that they can apply it in life. This has been the foundation of my ministry. It has not changed. But what has changed is that I understand it not only as being about revealing the glory of God by proclaiming the Word of God, But I also see how my role as a pastor is to be a blessing to others. Not only am I called to preach so that people will believe the good news, but also that they will be faithful to Him once they've come to faith in Jesus. And when I do that, it is for God's glory and their good. Your good. I have come to know from experience, observation, and the study of God's Word that living life the way God wants us to is the best way to live. It is wise. And it brings blessings from God. God's blessings, you see, flow through obedience. God's blessings flow through obedience. So, with God's help, I proclaim God's truth as accurately as I can. And with His help, I call His people to respond in faith. But not only in believing in Jesus for salvation, but also to obey Him after salvation. One day I had the opportunity to do just that. I was working with a co-worker who was a fellow student of mine. She was a counseling major at the Bible College, and I was a preaching major. And we were both working at a behavioral rehab facility with teenage sex offenders. She was sort of marveling that day at the fact that God had called her to serve him, that he had made it possible for her to go to school, and that she was already serving him in the counseling field, her field of choice. She said, and I quote, I don't understand why God is allowing me to do this. I am not that smart or talented. I'm an okay student, but I am not above average. Why has God called me? Now I could have said, Girl, you are smarter than you give yourself credit for. Don't sell yourself short. You got this. But I didn't do that. I quoted 1 Corinthians 1.27. God uses the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. I use biblical wisdom. He delights to use people who know they aren't superstars to advance His kingdom. She paused, looked at me, and said, Thank you. You are a wise man. Now, I walked away from that conversation grateful that I was able to help a sister in Christ, but also stunned that someone had actually referred to me as wise because I've seen myself in action, and son, I've not been wise very often. And I've hurt myself with foolishness more times than I care to remember. But in that moment, what I saw was this. was not that Dan Kinoya was wise or good. I saw the fruit of God's work in my life had just boiled up to the surface. And in one short moment, I had glorified God and blessed someone else. When God's people display godly wisdom, it glorifies the Lord and yields a crop of blessing 
for others, a crop of blessing for others. That is why James tells us that wise people live righteously and are therefore a blessing to others and they are blessed by God. Here's the headline of the sermon. Wise people live righteously and are therefore a blessing to others and they are blessed by God. If you want to be blessed by God, then live wisely according to His standards. James calls us to show godly wisdom, but most people already think that they are living wisely. So James tells us in verse 13 that if we are truly wise, we will show it by our conduct. Then in verse 14 through 16, James describes ungodly, hellish wisdom. One of the marks of ungodly, hellish Wisdom is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. I guess those are two marks. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. When you see people craving something that God and His sovereignty has not chosen to give them, but has chosen to give someone else, you are seeing hellish wisdom. She doesn't deserve Him. I should be the manager. He's an idiot. Selfish ambition shows up in the home. When, when a spouse determines that they are going to do what they want to do regardless of what their spouse thinks or feels. Selfish ambition shows up when one spouse wants to control another. Selfish and ambition and jealousy rear their ugly heads in the home, at work, at church, on sports teams. When people live by ungodly wisdom, it produces a little bit of hell on earth. But where does this ungodly wisdom come from exactly? Verse 15 gives us three sources of ungodly wisdom. First off, it's earthly. This type of wisdom is dictated by our physical needs and desires. It's dictated by our physical needs and desires. It is not wrong to want to satisfy our needs unless we do so without considering God's will for us. Security is a need that most people have. Trying to achieve security and comfort is fine unless it causes you to ignore God's call on your life. I'm going to say that again. Trying to achieve security and comfort is fine unless it causes you to ignore God's call on your life. God has made us sexual creatures. And our drives are powerful, so meeting those needs is natural. But God has placed a boundary around this. He has said that sex is to be between one man and one woman in the bonds of matrimony, and everything else is sin. That is God's wisdom. But if you watch television for one night, you will know that this is not the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world says if it feels good, do it. It's been saying that for a long time. And that is worldly wisdom, earthly wisdom. Then there's unspiritual wisdom. Unspiritual wisdom is built on the desires of the heart. Unspiritual wisdom is built on the desires of the heart. The heart wants what it wants. And there are people who have left their spouses saying that this person doesn't make me happy. And God wants me to be happy. So I must leave my spouse for, everyone, for someone else. This is earthly and unspiritual wisdom. Earthly and unspiritual wisdom are not always sinful, but they are sinful when we do not keep God in our plans to meet those needs. Meeting our needs is normal. It's normal to want our spouse to make us happy. 
It's not normal to abandon them because they don't make us happy. God has, not, God has designed life to work this way, that we have needs that we meet, but we meet them within God's plan. He has designed life to work best when we work to meet our needs according to His wisdom. The final source of ungodly wisdom is Satan himself. Satan himself. This is demonic wisdom. This is the type of wisdom that makes a person out to be their own goddess. Some of you may remember those bumper stickers, be your own goddess. To decide for yourself what is right or wrong in our own wisdom. This was, of course, the original deception. Satan told Eve that God has been trying to keep you in the dark under His thumb and that if she ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she would become like God, knowing good and evil. She ate, and she most certainly learned what evil was. And so has her children and her great-grandchildren all the way up to the present day. Her decision to disobey God is why all people to this day sin. It is why we all die. And she pursued ambition without obeying God. And it brought dysfunction and death. The evidence of ungodly wisdom is seen in disorder and every sinful practice. Verse 16. The evidence of ungodly wisdom is seen in disorder and every sinful practice. Most of the problems of the home and the world today are due to disorder. Adrian Rogers was on an airplane once and he was in a conversation with a lawyer and the lawyer and him began to talk about what he read. And the lawyer talked about what he read and all the books that he read. And, the, and Adrian Rogers said, I read two things, the newspaper and the Bible. And the lawyer laughed at him. And he said, well, the newspaper shows me all the problems, but the Bible shows me all the solutions. And it began with the original sin. The lawyer stopped laughing because what he discovered was that when people obeyed what God said, there's a lot less lawsuits. There's a lot less disorder. Most of the problems in the home in the world today are due to disorder. We refuse to submit to human authority. The police, lawmakers, the principal, mom and dad. But the root cause is that we don't want to submit to God. And the result is death, disorder, and all kinds of vile practices. You don't have to be a rocket scientist or a genius. If you read the newspaper one day or watched the news tonight, you'd seek disorder and vile practices. And God said it started with ungodly and hellish wisdom. James describes godly wisdom in verse 17. Thankfully, this is more fun to talk about. Godly wisdom is pure. It is undefiled by sin or selfishness. Now, to be honest with you, most of us don't realize that our motives aren't perfectly pure. Sometimes when I'm praying about something, I will say, God, I want to do this, or I don't want to do that. Lord, I'm torn because the truth is, I know that I don't have perfectly pure motives. Please help me. Please help me to choose what is right in your eyes. I have found a lot of mercy when I prayerfully pursued God's will that way. Second thing is God's, God's godly wisdom is pure and it is gentle. It's not harsh. It is peaceable and open to reason. It's willing to submit to authority, to go along to get along, so long as going along doesn't require rejecting biblical or moral standards. I have a wise friend named Paul. 
a wise, mature brother in Christ who told me a long time ago that even if his church votes to do something that he doesn't agree with, so long as it is not against the Scriptures, he will go along with it. That is the essence of peaceful wisdom. I often have told students in youth group that unless mom or dad ask you to do something unbiblical, immoral, or unethical, you should obey them. But I would say it's true of parents, and not only parents, but teachers and police officers. Unless these people that God has put in authority in your life ask you to do something sinful, or immoral, or unethical, or against the law, you should do what they say. Godly wisdom is peaceable and open to reason. It's also full of mercy. Not desiring to be judge, jury, and executioner. One scroll through social media tonight and you will see a great host of people who desire to be judge, jury, and perhaps executioner. But godly wisdom is, is full of mercy. It is also impartial. It doesn't pick favorites. It is fruitful. Their faith produces good works. Finally, it is sincere. It is honest, genuine, not phony, not counterfeit. And in verse 18, we see this. Wise people live righteously, are blessed by God, and they are a blessing to others. Verse 18 says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace, by those who make peace. Wise people live righteously, are blessed by God, and are a blessing to others. They are peacemakers. What, is the exam what are the advantages of the fruit of righteousness? Let's talk about some of the advantages. Church, our goal as Christians should be to glorify God with how we live our lives so that people may see Him for who He is and then choose to live for Him also. When we live life righteously, it brings glory to God. What is involved with that? What is involved in seeing others come to Him through our testimony? Well, it involves leading them to faith in Christ. It involves helping people to understand that when the, that when the Bible says all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, it means them too, just like it meant you. And that is bad news. But the good news is that the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And because it is good news, people will wisely put their trust in Jesus for salvation. And then once they are saved, they will know that following Jesus is the wisest and best way to live because it brings with it the fruit of righteousness. You know, I think it was about three years ago on a Sunday night or four years ago, I, I kind of just randomly quipped. I said, you know, one of the things I've, I've come to determine is God doesn't disappoint. When we live life His way, things tend to work out really well. And this one lady who was about my age just kind of chuckled at how simple that observation was, but I said, you know, uh, it probably needs to be said outright that living life God's way is the best way to live, and God does not disappoint. And when we live life righteously, it produces a crop of righteousness. It produces a fruit of righteousness. What are those fruits? Well, I'm going to talk about one or two. When we 
hold to certain things that are true and right, but then don't actually live by those, we have internal conflict. We rob ourselves of peace because we're not living in integrity. When we live life God's way, we have peace with God. A lot of times it leads us to peace with the world, although not always. Not always. But when the world turns against you and I because we are at peace with God, I suppose we can get to the point where we say, you know what? You may not like this, but I guess I'm just going to have to live with it. That moment where you get to where you say, I'm going to live, it right, live righteously before God and with God and be at peace with God, and if someone else doesn't like it, I guess I'll have to live with it. That's a pretty powerful moment. Proverbs 28.1 says this, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Why are they bold? Because they have nothing to fear. Because their character is true and genuine. Their motives are pure and being purified, they are sincere. They are peacemakers, willing to submit to others for unity, but also willing to stand up for what is right. In short, they have chosen to be on God's side and have asked, whom shall I fear? And because they know God and are on God's side, the answer is, I shall fear no one. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Righteous people honor God. And even though they do not honor God perfectly, God chooses to honor them perfectly. Do you need a blessing from God? And then choose to honor Him by living wisely. People who live righteously or wisely not only bless God, but they bless others. Your spouse and kids will be blessed if you live wisely. Why? Well, too much to list, but let me give you one or two examples. You will treat them with kindness and dignity. But your example, which they will follow, will set them up for success. Ask a business owner, would you rather hire an employee who was righteous or unrighteous in their business dealings? And if they say, well, I wouldn't really mind someone who's willing to bend the rules to get ahead. Can I just encourage you to ask yourself, would you really want your daughter to work for a person like that? Would you want your son to become a person like that? Before I left Cleveland, I worked as a mortgage loan officer. Not everyone was willing to be dishonest, but a lot were if it meant they could get ahead. It paid to be dishonest. We were in subprime lending, not your normal banks that you see down the street. A day came when I recognized that I had three or four loans working, which I closed would have meant a very large commission. All I would have had to do was fudge the facts a little bit to make the borrower look like less of a risk to the lender. My coworkers did it all the time and were rewarded for it. But I went to my boss and I said, these four loans can be closed, but I can't do what needs to be done to close them. You can give them to somebody else if you want to. He did, and they were closed. But that's not the end of the story. A few months later, the FBI made several arrests for fraud in the subprime lending industry. Had I broken laws, I would have walked around terrified, but because I obeyed God, who led me to conduct my business righteously, I slept easily at night because the righteous are as bold as a lion. That example of righteousness in business dealings was set for me by my dad. 
When I bought my first car, my dad came with me. It was a 1980 Olds Cutlass with less than 40,000 miles on it, and it was being sold at an estate sale. My dad handled the negotiations. The man said, I want $1,500 for it, but we can, we can say you bought it for, for less. You can say it was $500. He thought he was doing my dad a favor by saving him money on taxes. My dad said, I can't do that. Well, the man said, why not? No one will know. My dad, in his typical, short, abrupt, and to-the-point way, said, I'll know. That moment made quite an impression on me because my dad was not willing to sacrifice his integrity or mine just to save a few bucks. It didn't make sense to the man because he was operating in earthly wisdom and my dad had godly wisdom. He understood that following earthly wisdom would be a sin in that event. I don't know if he remembers that day or not, but it is still impacting me nearly 30 years later. Christian parents, understand that in your day-to-day living, you are setting an example for your children to follow. And if you're paying attention, that ought to scare you. Because many times, I hear my own words come out of my children's mouth. Sometimes they're repeating jad jokes, which I don't mind. Sometimes they don't sound real kind, and it sounds a whole lot like dad. Your children, my children, they are watching us. We are discipling them. When you choose to relay gossip, you are setting an example. When you choose to dishonor your spouse, you are setting an example. You are sowing seeds which will reap a harvest in your children's future. The question is, what kind of seeds are you sowing? Righteous or unrighteous? Wise or foolish? You can't sow seeds of sin and expect a crop of godliness. Now, admittedly, our children and grandchildren will choose for themselves, but you most certainly can sow seeds of godliness rather than hoping that things just kind of work out. If you want to see the fruit of righteousness in your children and grandchildren, sow the seeds of righteousness in your own life and watch God work in theirs. Do you want God to honor your life? Then honor God with your life. But maybe you say, I've missed the boat on this. I've already dropped the ball. I've messed up. The seeds of sin that I have sown are bearing fruit. Well, friend, can I tell you the good news? Is that your God is a redeemer. He's a redeemer. Let me share with you one of my mom's favorite passages in the Bible. Let me set it up for you before I share it, before I read it. Israel had abandoned righteousness and had sown the seeds of sin. God punished them for it. He sent plague after plagues of locusts to devour the crops. The results were devastating. He was taking away their prosperity and safety. Sounds familiar. The results were devastating. He was taking away their fortunes, but he promised that he would restore their fortunes if they would repent to turn from their sins and begin to live righteously. And here's what he says as recorded in Joel 2, 21-27. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. 
Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. My great army which I sent among you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame to shame. Unrighteousness and sin had brought death and despair on young and old alike. Even the animals were affected by the massive incalculable loss of of crops because the locusts ate everything in sight and they just kept on coming row after row of efficient assassins. But God told them to repent to honor Him and turn away from sin, and He promised to restore what had been lost because of sin. Peace had been devoured. Safety was a mirage, and joy was emaciated. When economic hardships hit families, relational and spiritual hardships are amplified. Because of the gnawing hunger pains and fear of tomorrow, loved ones are often on pins and needles, and they find it easy to lash out at one another. And to, and to neglect their children. This is because they feel powerless to meet their child's needs, and their child's hungry eyes only amplify their feelings of failure. This was the curse that had come upon Israel, but God promised to restore them. But it isn't just a lack of food that can rob a family of peace, safety, and harmony. Sowing seeds of unrighteousness can as well. There's a song... I've quoted it before. It's called The End of the Innocence. It has this line that kind of haunts me as a dad. He says, Lawyers clean up all details because daddy had to lie. And every once in a while, I look at my own kids and I say, Let me never fail them. Let that not be the story that they sing. Let it not be an end of innocence. Let their father not fail them. Because it isn't just a lack of food that can rob a family of peace, safety, joy, and harmony. Sowing seeds of unrighteousness can as well. But the same God who promised to restore the harvest for Israel, if they repent and turn to Him, will also restore the years that have been devoured by the locusts of sin in your life and mine and in our children's lives. The question is, will you be wise enough to turn from sin and turn to Him? Will you be wise enough to turn away from the wisdom of the world to the wisdom of heaven? Will you be wise enough to turn away from your own wisdom to the wisdom of God? God is calling us to learn and apply godly wisdom in our lives. I can't make you do it. I can only tell you what the Word of God is saying to us. God is calling us to learn and apply godly wisdom in our lives. He promises to bless us even if we have failed miserably, sowing seeds of sin for decades 
Israel didn't just wake up one day and sin and God sent in the locusts. It had been decades, generations perhaps. God is calling us to learn and apply godly wisdom. He wants to bless you. For the child of God, this requires deciding to turn from worldly wisdom and beginning to live life according to God's wisdom. For those who have yet to put their trust in Jesus, that means turning from the pursuit of sin and turning to Jesus in saving faith. As Pastor Rob comes to play our song of response, this morning, if you'd like to talk with me about how to become a follower of Jesus Christ, how to be saved, then you can, make, you can come down and talk with me during the last song. I can help you call on the Lord for salvation. Or perhaps you are a Christian who needs to pray about something. You can come to the altar and pray. And if you'd like me to pray with you, I'll be available and there will be certainly others who can pray with you. The thought occurred to me this morning as I went over the sermon that as we look out at the condition of the church and we see many young people have abandoned the, the faith or some haven't specifically said they don't believe but are living like they don't. Probably the altars across every church in America ought to be filled with people praying for their lost ones or those who have gone wavered to return home. Perhaps you need to pray for someone. Whatever the case may be, this is our time to respond to what God has said. Please stand for our song. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitanoia, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. Thank you for listening.